0: You're listening to The Razor's Edge. The Razor's Edge is an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor and trader with decades of experience in markets, and me, Daniel Schwarzman, who has been focused on the market as a career for the past decade. We take investing ideas or themes we're interested in and break them down, or we speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. You can also check out our work on Seeking Alpha under our respective names, or reach us on Twitter at @DanielShortman Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. Our standard disclaimer and disclosure, The Razor's Edge is a Shortman Studios production, the views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast or during our introduction to the given episode. This week's episode of The Razor's Edge follows the thread of our past two and of the COVID market in general. We start with a comment Akram made on a recent Twitter space about how it might be better to short a real company than a meme stock, no matter how obvious it looks. In fact, to make that point, we discuss the increasingly precarious position of NVIDIA's stock, as the company continues to post all-time highs. The underlying message through our discussion, which rolls from microstrategy to proof of stake to questions around NVIDIA, to building a, your crazy basket, it's hard to know the other side of the trade when you're in a very crowded trade, so avoid the herds. Disclosures here. Our usual names come up. I'm on PagerDuty, Akram is on Twitter, and Short Yala. I think that's it. We recorded this last Tuesday, and enjoy the fourth and the long weekend coming up. All right, let's get into it. Akram, I just, as we were getting ready for this podcast, you were on a space again on Twitter. And I jumped in to listen and Yala came up and you were talking about that with some people, they had some questions, but then also you kind of, you dropped a note towards the end of it, which was something like, so actually it's easier to short real companies instead of companies that are classic, let's say questionable business models or questionable existence of the company. So we're going to get into an example of that, but like, Let's start with that. What did you mean by that? What's what's on your mind as far as how to think about shorting in this market?
1: I mean, I think you know what I meant by it, right? I mean, I think you you've probably known me as long as I've I've shorted anything uh publicly. So I mean, Pretty I think close. the first thing I ever did was Melanox on uh Okay. Yep. Maybe Melanox publicly on Seeking Alpha. So I've typically I don't think I've ever a yellow would be a first, but like I've never shorted, I've shorted like tech growth businesses <laughs> as, I mean, maybe a couple of consumer retail growth businesses as well. You yeah, know, there's a tendency, call, call it, yeah.
0: competitive issues, changing landscape, some identification of multiple mismatch, but usually, usually I would say primary or secondary research.
1: Yeah, but characteristically healthy businesses.
0: Yeah, Mobileye Uh, was a big one at some point.
1: Yeah, Mobileye, Viva, Chipotle at a different point in time, Whole Foods, Lululemon. I mean, some fads here and there. But for the most part, when I've shorted, I've I've known the business that I'm shorting has an exit. (laughs) And in many cases, it turns into a long. I mean, I, I can think of five that eventually became very strong longs. Right. We've so, of, like, of course, Doc
0: Pager Duty and Nvidia yeah, has so been there. Yeah, the one.
1: And I mean, Nvidia was along long before it was a short, and it was a long again. Uh, Viva became a long. Uh, many Data, there's many, right? Uh I mean, like Lululemon became a long. Whole Foods had been a long before it became a short. BlackBerry had been a long, then became a short, then it became a long, which unfortunately, <laughs> it should have stayed with the short. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, yeah, like so, like I, I said, like the difference is that it's interesting because we were having this, you know, I, I did use the word, uh, and I, I can't, I can't take full credit for it because I think Post M was the first one to use it, fugazi, right? But uh,
0: which we uh, what, <laughs> we we pulled, I pulled my followers. About the Fugazi versus Fugazi pronunciation,
1: so just to- it's the Fugazi, <laughs> it's the Fugazi, 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 whatever it's fake, right? <laughs> <laughs> I pronounce it. But like, look, the, the, the idea that like there's a substantially real and understandable underlying business, yes. and that like you're just you're engaging in like there's somebody who's like, well, what's the valuation of uh, someone was bringing up valuations of MicroStrategy, and I was like. I was criticizing MicroStrategy because MicroStrategy, to me, doesn't make sense from an investment narrative because it doesn't call itself a meme, but it's essentially being positioned as an investment narrative around Bitcoin. And if you look at MicroStrategy, MicroStrategy was a stock that traded at roughly, let's call it, one times sales, net of cash. Even I mean, it could have been a slightly less, but before they entered into the Bitcoin, into the Bitcoin narrative. Okay. It's traded as high as 20 times sales X Bitcoin. So, you know, I take the Bitcoin position, net of cash, I market to market on the Bitcoin price. So I'm not even doing after tax adjustments. And I just try to get at what the value is of the legacy software business. And the legacy software business is expanded its multiple from, you know, 1X to as high as 20 and it's now like 12, right? So the legacy software business is 12, 12 times sales, I mean, you know, that's less than PagerDuty or, or Workday, uh, Salesforce, you know, sorry, those three names, for example, which we've talked about a lot, trade lower than that. Right. So like, if you and I sat here and had a conversation about why MicroStrategy trades at that, it'd be kind of absurd to be like, I could buy any one of these three businesses. I don't think anybody, like people will have reasons for why Workday trades here and why Pages really may trade here. But like, I don't think anyone's going to say this business with its maintenance revenue and it's like teeny scale as far as what it's moved to cloud. And the fact that overall revenue is essentially gone nowhere in four or five years. It had been declining. It It has a bit of an uptick. You wouldn't pay 10 times sales the 20 times sales for that software business. That's a no brainer, right? You're not going to, we're not going to engage in this. We're not going to humor th- this nonsense by having a valuations conversation around that. Now, this becomes relevant here because if you believe the multiple just stays at 10x sales, let's say it doesn't compress, then like the business, the Bitcoin holding business, Hodelco, I'll call it, okay? Not opco, hodlco. Touche, touche. Yeah. So hodelco like has like a break even as a Bitcoin shareholder of something like a hundred thousand. Like if I'm going to go back to where the multiple was pre-Bitcoin buying. So, like, not even that, like what we came up with, like five I traded down to five times sales. So you essentially would have to. You essentially would have to double your money in Bitcoin to own a 5X sales microstrategy software business. You get, you get my point?
0: Yeah. And I, it makes me wonder, I've, obviously, I've seen people mention shorting microstrategy, and I think this gets to our main topic. It seems like there, there's probably a layup for somebody to go long Bitcoin and short microstrategy as a pair trade because of... The underlying dynamics because of what you said is that you're getting, you're basically either paying a premium for the Bitcoin that they have or you're paying a ridiculous multiple for their core business. And so.
1: right. You're, right. So you're like, not crazy so, about that right now. Yeah. So, like if, the, if Bitcoin was to just trade up to max 100,000, okay, let's say you'll put a ceiling on it and you actually still ascribed some sort of sensible valuation to uh, the, what is a software company underlying it, you would be able to efficiently short Bitcoin through this because Opco has 80% downside. You actually wouldn't like, you don't really get blown up by Bitcoin. Uh, you get blown up by Opco because Bitcoin, he's leveraging to buy it. And like once it falls below 85%, they're going to sell it. Right. I mean, like those are I think the terms in the in in the convertible, in the convertible notes. So like if you if you have to do it that way, I think it's an like it's it's a better way of arbitraging, let's say, short exposure to crypto. But the point is, why would you why would anybody go long? And like when he gets on TV, he articulates it like, hey, you know, my goal is to be eventually slightly, you know, better way of owning Bitcoin than a Bitcoin ETF. And I think I can do that more efficiently because I can lever my balance sheet. Well, you can only lever your balance sheet to a certain degree relative to the underlying, like the underlying OPCO is there to, to allow you to get that leverage. And it has a certain limits and you're seeing the limits <laughs> more importantly in the terms with how these convertible notes are structured to hold the Bitcoin. But to get into like, the conversation here is that he doesn't get up there and say, I'm a meme stock. But like when you look at this thing, I can't understand how anybody looks at it and isn't like, well, I'm essentially paying this multiple for Opco. and That basically means that everybody who buys it like, like is, is disconnected from any reality. It's essentially the promote and the, uh, that, that he's managed to, to do, and you actually have to consider it more in the category of a meme. Because no one's actually held him down and been like, look, dude, I get that you love c- crypto. But like be honest with your investors and tell them that like, yes, you can actually buy Bitcoin with leverage, right? But then like so could they. And so the degree that you're creating that leverage, like what's embedded in the stock price till the day you announce that you acquired X, Y, and C Bitcoin at this price doesn't reflect the future of you buying more, right? And leveraging up more. Right. Like it can't be like, hey, it's just gonna perpetually go up and I'm gonna perpetually gear up. So you pay me a premium today to do that you know, because I'm going to do that in the future. So that's what you're paying for. You're paying for the fact that like, why would I pay a premium to that? <laughs> you know, why would I pay a premium to something you haven't done? So, in, in and, and, and you have limits to that. And that's where it makes no sense. Like you're actually like Bitcoin hold, but hodl is literally bearing the weight of, you know, legacy software opco and legacy software opco now trades at a, at a higher multiple than appealing SaaS businesses. So, like, when you get into that dynamic, and if you have to frame it and have that conversation, you're like, if we were to split these things today, and Bitcoin Hotelco is just you, and like you're, you're a fantastic person around Bitcoin, and I can, I can buy stock related to it, and we've like removed uh, what's it called, Opco, I'm gonna take a bath in the stock. And like that's and then that's like something that's not communicated by someone like that. So like I could come forward and just be like, hey, I want to short this because of Bitcoin, but no, I don't want to short this because of Bitcoin. I want to just short this because, like, here's the story. And the story being communicated by the CEO makes no sense. Like he doesn't, he doesn't sit here and tell you that you just what like you 7x the multiple you pay for the software business. Now he tells you they had the best quarter in years, right? Like, all right, so. You're going to grow your top line what, a couple of percent? <laughs> what are you doing with your software company? Like, What's the strategy? Like you said, so much time. Like I've watched this guy, and he communicates some things very articulately. And he's like, look, we were trading at $120 a share, and the market was effectively telling me to get rid of my cash because it was a drag. And I get that. The market will tell you to get rid of too much cash. It's a drag. So like, the market is now telling him that the exact opposite insanity is going on. That we're going to pay you a premium, significant premium to the Bitcoin price, because in theory you can leverage your balance sheet as Bitcoin goes up to add more Bitcoin. Well, if all I want is crypto exposure, right? Then you know there's 56 million people with Coinbase accounts. You can now buy you can now buy Bitcoin on PayPal. There's no thesis, you know. So like,
0: why not just short it then? Like, what what are you? What why are names like and we could talk about so many I mean, like we're not
1: gonna get into the like we're not gonna do a whole session on the memes. So that that, that whole space is started based on the memes, right? Valuations had posted a CNBC interview with the Buffalo Wild Wings guy talking about it's like it's it's a new world where apes, you know, it's not, it's not investing, it's you know, <laughs> it's a revolution, use the word revolution. So like I hadn't seen that, so I was just surprised CNBC. Had done anything along those lines. I mean, whatever, not really. It's entertaining. But like that kind of segued into, like you know, I've had conversations, for example, now Frankie Fourfingers has had some really good stuff over, over the last two years on AMC. Actually, I mean, I discovered his account when he was writing about AMC pre COVID. And, you know, he, he made good arguments around like where AMC could get to, wise post COVID, right? And like, I was joked with him that like, I mean, Cinemark doesn't get that multiple. So like, why are we even having this conversation? Like Cinemark trades at like six times 2019 or whatever. And, you know, AMC is like 60X. So like, why are we talking about the movie business? I mean, you're not, he's not going to argue with you that that Cinemark is uh, not a better movie business. I mean, it's exposed to much more growth markets, put it that way. And I, I think that there's like, Several companies. I was joking the other day, you could buy like Live Nation, Ricks, Damon Busters, pretty much like, <laughs> like a, a like an the, the ETF of like a reopening stuff, uh Cinemark, right, IMAX, all of them for the market cap of uh of AMC, right? So like you are not gonna sit here and like like, but it's we actually like having that doing that exercise because like, you know, I'm a person who who's a believer in the movies i mean if you think about this go back do you remember we were discussing disney and uh, third points letter yeah about like you know go all in on streaming like how ridiculous does that seem now how ridiculous does it seem to be like hey you're comparing movie theaters to the horse and buggy i mean the movie theater business internationally is growing but the, the reality isn't uh, an, an exhibition stadium is you know unless you're a multi-billionaire who you know, has a 20 seat theater, you know, in his own home and has the space for that space is kind of a constraint. I mean, we're sitting here in a, in a housing market now where everybody's just like, you know, like you're short 6 million homes because of the last decade and and uh there's overheating and everything. And like, you know, having an exhibition doesn't actually look like or sound like uh, the horse and buggy. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it, it, and, at the same time, had you bought the horse and buggy business, like you don't see, that's what I find interesting about these guys is they don't comment on this stuff. They don't really care. And they stay out of the whole thing and it's left to everybody else. So you don't get a person who's like a Disney activist to be like, hey, you know, AMC's gone from 200 million to 30 billion uh, in the six months that I've been focused on Disney and focusing on the movie movie theater business. <laughs> you know, like what? like what say you? Because you just you just called the the movie theaters the horse and buggy, well the horse and buggy was made technologically obsolete, literally. Right, and your point is that because somebody because
0: somebody can look at Disney and say all right that and we've talked about it a ton, but that investment has worked. They've really pushed in on streaming, Disney Plus success, blah blah blah. And I think you're saying that oh yeah, well, that's awesome. I have not. I've read good things about Loki almost looks like the thing i could do to try out marvel
1: but oh boy
0: <laughs> before we get into all that the point is that yeah that's great you might have you know third points position might be up what 30% i, I think they came out with it before covid so well, let's say 30% 40% even no but saying the,
1: right, the the write up to move the stock has gotten like what like 10 15% yeah and it, the, it, it already had recovered to like 150 dollars
0: and at the same so. time as that doesn't look so great when you compare it to this supposed horse and buggy company even even if there's obviously extenuating meme circumstances so like there, yeah i mean i guess that's the luxury just as a digression the luxury of being a focused, concentrated stock investors, you should know what's going on in the market, but ultimately, you just well, need I mean, to it just get becomes what you get right. Like,
1: you know, like the serious guys will be like, look, the real boys are playing over here in Disney. Uh, that's a sideshow over there. So let the kids have their fun. But can you really take that view when it's like, like the most actively traded stock on a day-in and day-out basis in the entire stock market? I mean, and I've done that for, you know, I did that for like, what, almost 10 days? And it's still up there. It's definitely a top ten name. So that's where you get into this whole thing of like, if you approach a stock like this, which is like, let's call it consensus failure from a business model standpoint. Like, there is like, you know, the, the the people with the MBAs and CFAs and let's call them the suits, you know, as as Portner likes to call them, will be like. Projected cash flows are going to tell you that your current ROEs and uh, ROYRIR, like just throw out any term you could think of, Mm. they would tell you, yes, do not buy this business. The equity is a loser. Like if you went in and pitched Gecko and Wall Street, like it's a dog with fleas. Next. Like this is about, you know, it's not, he wouldn't even say that. He'd be like, that's a dog with fucking rabies. Why are you wasting my time? That would be how he would have how he'd respond to AMC or uh, GameStop. He wouldn't be like, "Oh, okay, we can pump this," and because it's a dog with rabies uh, and it's so crowded that that actually works in our favor. So that's when you get into this whole idea. I mean, the idea of a crowded trade works both ways, right? Well, and I think what I'm sort,
0: I think what's sort of underlying here, the two things that come to mind for me are the joke from the Silicon Valley TV show on HBO about you don't want to have any revenue because then they can start valuing oh, yeah, you. Right.
1: It's like, yeah, 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 no, 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 no revenue. <laughs> and the well, others, the others. Don't provide, don't provide anything tangible. <laughs> right. And so then you can,
0: and I'm looking as we speak, I'm looking at Torchlight Energy Resources. You see that one take off the, this past few weeks?
1: Yeah, uh, O and G's been ripping that thing as a fraud, an yeah. obvious fraud. Yeah.
0: well, and I remember when that—that's another example of a name that was a short target in the mid-teens. That is back in the game somehow. I mean, I remember we published at Seeking Alpha a lot of short ideas, you know, short cases for that. It seemed O and G is always a little tough to sort out. But anyway. The other thing is that if you don't, you know, if you don't understand the other side of the trade, especially if you're short, you have to be careful. And it usually I take that to mean, okay, you might not know why it works. You might not know why people love X or Y. You may not understand what the thesis is that could legitimately, you know, Tesla is an easy one to pick on. Like you may have been you may not have understood the loyalty and how that would translate into actual business loyalty or whatever, right? But in, in these times, it seems like it's actually with these companies that are less tangible, again, is if you don't understand the long case, you might get run over by a freight train just because nobody cares about the long case. They're just using it to, to prove a point or whatever else. And so th- that to me seems like the risk, to go back to our original question, of shorting a more obvious faulty business model than a real company? Is that. not even a
1: question of faulty business model. It's like, if you want to short something based on competition, which is normal in a very appealing sector. So if a company succeeds in one sector, more competition arrives in that sector. Uh, typically, if the competitors can succeed in making any progress against the incumbent, you make money off of the first mover slash leader losing share. You can make like, let's say, I mean, I hinted at a video short. I don't have a position to be clear. Just like I noticed it up like another 30, 40% since I last looked at it a month and a half ago. And I have inklings around what's going on in crypto. Like I, I'm very confident that the crypto business was a major driver of several factors in their underlying business. So we know that like half the business is gaming back out. What is Nintendo switch Integra, right? Like you haven't been able to buy a GPU in the last three months at all. It's not a question of like what's going to the gamers and what's not. So like when I see them do the revenue they're doing there, both the ASP mix and The huge year over year growth. I mean, we've seen this before. Like, it's not a hard playbook to analyze. What's more interesting this time is the, the potential idea and the debate about mining just going away. Like mining didn't go away in 18. In fact, after the first big drop in crypto, it became more profitable to buy. Right. But but now there's an argument against mining. And if there's an argument against mining in general, think about what how much capacity globally in the semiconductor space is being eaten up like on the memory side and you know the foundries at the leading nodes were both ASICs and gpus but like like how much mining is taking if you think about that and you say like proof of stake you know the idea that that validation and rewards in crypto will shift from achieving you know higher hash power but actually to what I am staking as far as my holdings and underlying coin, like that could, that would be seismic. So take that and then layer on top of it the belief that we already had enough stuff about mobile gaming, streaming in the gaming space, whether you want to view them as a winner or not, 3D, uh, AR, VR, right? Where, I mean... Like Qualcomm, for example, is processors powering uh, Oculus Quest 2. That's actually IP that they bought off on the GPU and from, from AMD like over a decade ago. But like, take that. And then I like, I start looking at hyperscale and I see what happened to Intel's data center business last quarter, right? Who's getting rocked, you know, on ASPs by competition and essentially in general move away from their monopoly because the competitor in AMD and now also in ARM internally in hyperscale has become a much more viable alternative. And like the volume hit is you know, somewhat notable and they blame that on digesting, but the ASP hit is very notable. And like that was a money printing machine. You know, a lot of people have criticized a lot of the things Intel did over the years, but like that's a 50% operating margin business. ASPs doubled over like a decade. Their, their data center business is, was the crown jewel of, of businesses out there. Like it was hard to find another business that, that was that appealing outside of the clouds or the likes of Apple. So when you look at this type of stuff, and I, I, I look at it in video and I'm like, you know, I mean, if Google and Amazon don't do more in house, and now I hear Microsoft's got an advancing project, you know, internally, and like if hyperscale. hyperscale it's essentially the compute infrastructure globally. And like their first step was getting rid of like the margins that were made by the likes of Dell and EMC and HP and, and replacing them essentially with the ODMs. And then the next step is essentially just intermediating the silicon guys, you know, or at best, you know, leaving them with a business that was nowhere near as healthy as it used to be because they can access. Boundary capacity just as easily as 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 they as they can because they're no longer IDMs that are moving at such a rapid pace that you need the capex to invest and the design teams in house. They figured out the design part. So when you look at some of like all that, I can walk into a thesis where I'm like, all right, stock is just hasn't stopped going up. (laughs) It's 500 billion. It's like 20 times what I think this year, next year's revenue will be. And I can walk into a scenario where like the back half of 2022 could be negative revenue. I mean, I don't, I, we don't know what that's gonna happen without question, but I could walk into that scenario. I could see the gaming business drop enough and that like spread throughout the GPU space, which will lead into an overhang in the data center business. There's no doubt about that. It'll just come in the form of ASP pressure. So, you can tie that all together. And I'd be like, I can short this stock here. and like, nobody is rushing to short this stock. I, you don't have thousands of people being like, this thing is bullshit. It's 20 billion and it's 30 billion and it's a fugazi. So like the reality is that because it's tethered to a certain class of investing, I can start to construct a thesis there and have a view right now. I don't know what's going to happen over the next three or four years. and in the chip space like that's hard to predict but i can i'm willing to bet two years from now there'll be an even more competitive environment than it is today i mean intel's already coming out with their compute gpus and some of those benchmarks have been impressive so like as intel is taking is taking pressure in uh, their core business like you're going to see a much more competitive environment for a GP gpu even without cuda because It's actually not a distributed computing infrastructure. It's centralized. Because it's centralized, they have the ability to make their own chips. They definitely have the ability to compile and handle the software layers that needed to be done to automate. That AMD essentially had failed. I don't even say failed. They didn't really have the resources at the time to really focus on that. I mean, they they were focusing on survival in the way NVIDIA did. So like the tangibility... Of uh, a great business like NVIDIA has in gaming and in data center actually makes it more appealing. Does that make sense? If you're actually looking at like an economic slash like fundamental thesis of supply, demand, competition, and you're thinking about these things, and then like, what am I paying for this stock today? And how would this stock trade if it goes from growing 80% to not growing in 12 months? I've been I've been I've been using the Cisco 2000 analogy, right? Like you know, I was I was asking actually the other day, like what would a growth slowdown look like in 2021, 20, 2022? Like if you look at you know Cisco August of 2000, I don't know if you saw the tweet that I put up where like from Chambers.
0: Yeah, I saw the quote. His quote like, about the internet continuing to.
1: Yeah, like we see no signs of anything slowing it down. The internet is here, you know, and it's booming. After they'd reported. growth, you know, and 6.7 billion in revenue, 30% margins, call it at the time, like uh, almost approaching a a 30 billion run rate business. That was August, I think, 8th of 2000, if I I remember, 7th or 8th, right? Point is, it was five months after the the peak of the NASDAQ. It was five months after people had gotten out of the shitcos. But like Sun Microsystems, Cisco, a lot of the stuff on the Silicon side, or like either making a new high, Juniper made a new high, Some Micro made a new high in the summer and into the early fall. Cisco was at that time trading at like $69. So like, let's call it like five, five, 6% off its, off its March high. not MicroStrategy, which was then by, down by like 80% or Pets.com and these types of things that like had just been, been, been decimated. Now, what's interesting is Cisco does grow 60% then and then it grows 60% again in the next quarter reports and it gives you a guidance for the next 12 months of 40 to 50%. And then a month later it pulls that guidance and by the end of the year, you know, uh, uh, and then 2 months later they're actually down year over year and like they drop 30% sequentially and by the end of the year, right, like they've grown 10% because they grew 62% in the front half and you know fell off a cliff in the back half but like that's what a growth slowdown looked like then it kind of came out of nowhere for a very strong infrastructure business and we know why i mean capex stopped at the telecommunications infrastructures companies because a bunch of them started to go bankrupt by the way right so and it turns out you know back back in the days when you had to load up on debt to finance uh building out a network really quickly you had serious sensitivity there and i mean in general there was just excess capacity i mean it it's not like that stuff came back in a year but like when you look at what that kind of felt like i mean you saw like what, what he said i had it, i posted one today from scott McNeely where he's like it's open field running for us right now that was october of 2000 that one was easier to get because you could google that one okay <laughs> yeah but like i mean it's like there you go like this is like that's almost like nine months. So like people, there's like this belief that there was like this bubble and it popped in March. And then like, it was just kind of obvious. It wasn't obvious, right? Like companies were reporting great numbers. And then like, just out of nowhere, there was a rapid cliff dive you know, in spending on telecommunications infrastructure. So the, the question I was asking the other day is what would, what would something like that look like today? And like, you see like Intel last quarter where they missed in the data center they they blamed it on hyperscale digestion. And I mean Nvidia's used that as well in the past when like it's just like hey, they're digesting and then they're going to spend more, right? And it's like yeah, they're digesting, but like at the same time they're doing their own projects and like they're investing in you know a multitude of avenues cuz they don't want to be dealing with another Intel with 98% market share. When you look at Intel DCG, Intel DCG story of the last decade is the story of cloud. I mean, it is the infrastructure that is underpinning the data centers that are hyperscale. So like all that compute, you know, I mean, like they they got around to doing pretty much everything else themselves, but like, you know, those servers running on Intel CPUs, you know, up until recently at least, right? Like there's like more diversification, there's more GPUs in the mix now for acceleration. But like, if you want to go from 2008 to 2018, that's the CapEx story of cloud, right? Like that division inside Intel. So like when you look forward and you say, like, all right, like that now wants to be like Intel, custom SKUs, AMD, ARM, our own branded, GPUs, some ASICs, you know, like stuff like that's coming out of the likes of uh, Havana Labs, for example. I mean, Nirvana seems to just have been, you know, completely scrapped. But Graphcore with their IPUs, have won some business, but again, still small. But like, you know, mostly Intel, mostly Nvidia. Sorry, but like, yeah. I mean, when you look at when you look at those those businesses today, and you say, all right, so like, what's it like? What's a a big slowdown look like? If it came out of nowhere and it's like, let's call it early 2022, and you and me are talking, you're like, fuck, it was COVID. Like, everybody, you know, had to invest in an excess capacity. And someone pointed to Cloudflare as an example. Like, they were calling that like the analog to Cisco for today. But like, what would you look at today and be like, shit, it was obvious? Like, I mean, I had people on the space who were like, I can conceive if we ever have a slowdown. I'm like, dude, come on. What do you mean if? There will be a slowdown. The whole concept of slowing it's not stop, right? It's slowing. Speed is a relative thing. So, like if you grew this fast this year, it's highly likely in the year after the pandemic of work from home, you can grow slower. So, does that reverberate in a way where like the consumer businesses, for example, at Amazon and Facebook, let's say people don't spend as much time online. They don't spend as much money incrementally. Ad rates don't go up relatively as they did last year. And they decide, you know what? We invested in all this capacity last year for all this growth. We don't need to invest as much this year. And that hangover you know, hits incrementally in a bunch of different businesses. And those businesses say, you know what? We can back off on a couple of these software projects that we were thinking about doing. And then do we have this kind of like, you know, the, like the, that broader slowdown that, that sips through a chain that, you know, we used to call a recession. But I was just out, like, I have no idea. I was just asking, like, what does it look like? But it, it actually does interest me more to spend time focusing on that. And I'm sure this is like, this is something where like big boys can be interested as well, right? Like if you're running billions, because you can't trade yellow or some of this crap if you're running anything more than like $50 million, right? So like, I, I would say, you know, if you were in a situation like that, you were better off spending your time thinking about what's the 2020 version of a of a slowdown look like in technology? Like, because we know what it looked like in 2000, right? You had excess capacity. Everything will go through periods of excess capacity, but like excess capacity meant that Cisco sold less routers, you know, Nortel, Lucent blew up quickly on, on telecommunication equipment because that was really levered on the fiber side and optical side. And Sun Microsystem, you know, as far as internet, like they got nicked both on people needed to spend on their, their essentially their gateway to get online and also on what? Windows and uh, what do you want to call it? Wintel, essentially undercutting them. And then software, you know, perpetual license, you know, people can defer for a year or two, right? Like, you don't, you're not upgrading your software. For two years, now that would like you're not going to cancel your software, right? Like you still have maintenance and support. Like that's what we've kind of changed with this dynamic Mm. with what is SaaS. Mm. But we've seen like we've seen in a good market environment, SaaS stocks can trade to three to four times sales if they're having issues. And when we say having issues, it's like it's growing less than fifteen percent. Yeah. Like if that can happen in a bullish environment, what's what's a slowdown look like? So yeah, I mean, that's when you kind of circle back. I mean, we got kind of went on a tangent here. But I would say that this is how, if if you're looking at, like, if I was to ask you mid 2022, and we're like, hey, let's go back and play that podcast from last summer, because so and so warned. Like, I have yet to see a CEO who ever taught, like, I was finding these quotes amusing. I mean, if you you think about, think back to Jensen in, in 2018 as the best analog, right? But like, you know, the McNeely one and the Chambers one, I didn't even know those existed. Like those were completely new finds. I was actually just more curious in, in the trajectory of the stock price relative to the operating businesses at the time, you know, long, long after the March peak. So, like when you got into when when you got into looking at those quotes, like, look, I mean, there isn't a management team in existence who like wakes up and is like, hey, things are things are gonna slow down. So you can't you can't look to them for the source. So you kind of have to have your own plan. In place, and yeah, that's where you get into this whole idea where, like, we kind of got a bit off topic. But one, it's essentially not a crowded trade; it's the definition of contrarian for essentially being contrarian. But some of them, you can talk. Like, I mean, you can like you can talk yourself into. Now, unlike 2018 with Nvidia, where I just felt like unanimously, there's a hard catalyst. This time, there's definitely a lot of people who look at crypto, and are like. Yes, this is definitely a risk to the business. I mean, like, I didn't post that thing and get like, hey, that's blasphemy, <laughs> you know, which was more what it felt like in 2018. I was like, hey, you know, this time it's like, you know what, like, yeah, maybe, but why wouldn't you just rather short of fraud? Well, it turns out shorting the fraud is a lot harder because there's degrees of fraud these days and there's everything from like, just pure outright financial fraud to like growth fraud to like meme fraud. Like to me, in, in a sense, like you could put like micro strategy in a meme fraud. It's pretending to be one thing, but it's kind of like, it's like a meme because it really isn't a play on Bitcoin. Like, I don't know if the CEO has to talk himself into it, but I can't see how you can't have a conversation with him where he doesn't come off and is like, look, yeah, you have to like, you have to believe that my software business is worth more than five times sales. Otherwise go buy Bitcoin by yourself. So
0: would you rather I have questions I could ask about Nvidia, or I have questions I could ask about this dynamic that you're describing about the risks of shorting a real stock versus shorting a less than real stock, which which is well, more of interest to you
1: right now? I mean, I guess we could talk about like that. Look, do you agree that Anything that is very consensually agreed upon at times can be difficult. Yeah. I've now, it, for Windows, it's not a good idea to be contrarian just to be contrarian, which is what we were just talking about, right? But like if you actually shorted high short interest stocks for 20 years, you outperformed, right? So, like, that's one example, right? Now, a lot of these stocks, which fall in this category of crap, they're not necessarily high short interest. They like they have, Weird trading dynamics, right? They're traded by a different type of people. They may not have significant floats. Like they're being turned over a ton. Like there's these things where it's like your ability to take a large position is essentially limited by the risk management characteristics that they've introduced by being fugazes. Because like we can sit here and say like in theory, based on where Cinemark trades today, you should be willing to short AMC. At fifteen dollars,
0: but it just like, doesn't constantly. match. It, with yeah. a large
1: position, and now now it's four x. And everybody who's had internal access to the management team at AMC was granted stock. You know, was dealing directly with the CEO. Like, forget when he does his interviews with the Apes and he says what he says. Okay, like if you were Mudrick Capital or uh, Wanda or whoever, you sold your shares for a reason in the last couple months, right? Silver Lake, et cetera. Uh, you're getting out of the stock at $20 or less, right? I mean, most of them like around $10. So like when you think about that dynamic, what are you going to do when, when you have to sit here and like worry about whether or not a name, like what turns the name into something like that? There's weird characteristics. I mean, there's been the argument that it's been Reddit. I don't think anyone's conclusively answered it. It seems to be a mix of several things like between Wall Street vets and between day trading and retail and institutions and let's call it flow driven trading that follows it all and amplifies it and the option markets and the gamma squeezes and everything else. But like when you look at a business like that, and here's the thing, you don't have to spend any time when you look at a business like that on the actual underlying business if you have a short thesis. So maybe you could make a point that like it should be somewhat of a challenge. Like if you're going to short Nvidia, you're going to have to spend a decent amount of time on the underlying business. You do not have to spend any time on the underlying business that is AMC or GameStop. You're 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 essentially bringing nothing to the table with the short thesis there, and you're essentially bringing nothing to the to the table with a short thesis on a bunch of growth names that are pre-revenue. If they're telling you that in the next decade they're gonna they're gonna try to do X, Y, and Z because they're effectively speaking startups. And startups like I mean there are startups with 10 million in ARR with getting, you know, a billion, two billion, three billion, five billion valuations on paper based on who invests in them and who the founders are and whatever. So like when you engage in that exercise when the market, when the public markets have a ton of these names, like people are like, hey, that those revenue assets, like no, you're gonna have to focus on the technology say the technology is completely shit and here's why or you're gonna have to focus on certain elements of the of of the of the growth narrative that you can prove today have already failed because this was kind of like you know it goes back to kind of the appeal that was Yella. because again like you say we we're having this conversation it's like why would you short a stock like Yella? Well, i mean the idea there is you already have what would be the best possible business that you could achieve in that space and we're telling you that that is as good as that which is as good as anybody could ever get in there you know like you would look at that business if it was something that you believed was real and be like yes that can't be sustained but what can they do elsewhere because just by the nature of what you're you know preparing to be doing there you would not expect that to be, to be sustained because you've seen it in little games mobile games etc anything where someone's spending that kind of money in a short time period the churn dynamics. Even the stuff that they're disclosing, you know, they say they have 120 million registered users, and you know this fraction is, you know, monthly active. Whatever, you would have that type of view, but you actually saying, hey, what you're what you claiming you already did didn't happen. That's a different. That's a whole different story. And that's not where I'm gonna, where, where I'm criticizing what you're going to do in the future. I'm saying what you what you what you already told me you did today, which is supposedly amazing. I don't believe you, and here's why. And like that gets you into that other because everything else that we just discussed, like, like it's easier to have a conversation over what happens with a business like an NVIDIA or a Roku or a Netflix or whatever than it is to take a company that is, you know, doing a hundred thousand in revenue and says it's gonna change the delivery space with its drones or it's a flying helicopter. Right, it's a flying car.
0: Yeah, I I think what you're getting at, the way I I think about it is the there's the combination investing of following the numbers and following the story, and with companies that have those established financials, they they should in theory line up. Again, there are going to be exceptions, or they're going to be you can look at the numbers and see a different future, whatever else. But the narrative you're disputing has to at some point tie back to that, and when it doesn't, things usually get out of whack and then they should correct themselves over time. Whether or not they will in today's market, you know, it feels different, but it probably isn't. And then with these smaller companies, and in your case, we can get into Yala in a second, but in the other cases, it's more about disputing a story and other investors are the ones who have to believe your dispute. And it's hard to convince people that they're wrong or that what they believe is wrong. And it's almost easier to be able to say, well, the numbers show it. I mean, you can take sports even where on the one hand, you can't dispute rings don't lie or the scoreboard doesn't lie. On the other hand, some people say, ah, we got robbed, ah, this guy was hurt, whatever. They make the story. And so the more there's a story element the more you're exposed to just people disagreeing, people not believing, people just piling in no matter what. And with a NVIDIA, it's, our, it's a huge company. So it's hard to imagine, A, it's almost impossible to imagine it getting bought out, but B, it's also just hard to imagine how much more legs it has. I mean, as you pointed out, it's on a tear. It's unlike a Zoom which is rebounding but is still well off its highs nvidia as well at highs that are well above whatever they set earlier in the year but in theory there's there's it's easier to quantify how you would get hurt there and like you said there are the numbers i mean you didn't go into it but they they're posting super impressive revenue growth numbers i think over 80% in q1 they their gaming unit doubled oh, data center almost you know 70% or whatever like they've got impressive numbers
1: but that includes uh, adding Mellanox, but yeah oh, right sure yeah go ahead yeah 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 but but which is a big business these days
0: well and they're also you know you mentioned arm a couple times they're trying to buy arm but there is you know again there's that murky crypto is in there and who knows where crypto goes and you've talked about The switch from proof of work to proof of stake, which would take away the need for GPUs to make the crypto ecosystem work, as I understand it. That
1: would be huge. So like if I don't know how that plays out, but if you envision a world where the the idea of of like that there's like a ninety percent downside to mining, like ninety percent of that compute consumption goes away. I I think people are really underestimating how much is out there. I mean, yeah, there's some ASICs in there now more so than there was before on the non Bitcoin stuff. But I mean, just in the overall semiconductor food chain, it's a big deal. Like when you think about potential capacity, uh, CapEx bubbles, what can you think of as a greater CapEx bubble than like allocating a huge percentage of the, of the, of the compute resources of the planet to, to doing cryptographic math problems to make a currency more reliable? Yep. If that was if you actually believe that, that was something that was not like, I mean, just it diminishing is enough of a reason to have a short thesis. I mean, if it's flat as a demand driver year over year, which I think 95% of people will agree with you on, like that like it's not gonna be as crazy as it was this year. And I mean, that's where if you want to do like the analog, I mean, the last three months of the Ethereum network, it added more, more, more hash power. Than it did in its entire previous cycle from Inception. I mean, like, that that's how crazy these. And by the way, it had a huge drop recently. So, like, that's part of the issue. When you look at something like that, and all right, yes, I mean, you can probably get three times the performance out of a new NVIDIA GPU. There are like ASICs, which effectively speaking are just kind of replicating on a, you know, it's performance per dollar. So you're not necessarily getting the, uh, the huge advantage, for example, that you get out of Bitcoin, which you cannot mine with the GPU today. So the fact that you can still mine with the GPUs tells you like the way like, you're, you're essentially memory bound on a lot of these uh, altcoins outside of Bitcoin. But because of that, like if it was to go away, I mean, that's a huge demand driver. And it's going to do two things. One, it's going to reduce the price that you can command for new cards. It's going to introduce a ton of supply in the market. And that supply can be repurposed to be to doing AI ML, if need be. So that's an easy thing to get into, versus trying to figure out what exactly is what's going on with a company like you know Skills or the next year or or Fubu, or Microvision, or Yella or these names.
0: Right. The that KPIs, the key performance indicators, or whatever are. Clearer. Well, the two things I wanted to ask about Nvidia beyond what you just covered were: you mentioned competition, and Nvidia A is trying to buy Arm, and B they seem to win out last time. And so I'm curious how you think about.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, I don't really have anything to add there. I think it's highly unlikely at this point that would be a consensus view. The Chinese don't want it. The Brits don't want it. But I think Nvidia can make an argument. I mean, I mean, you could look at all the stuff Intel bought and how it didn't work out. I think because it's IP and adding it within a business strategy that they're trying to do and that it's so geared towards towards mobile, that uh, they may have a good point a- against it. I think right now ARM's obviously gonna want more money. I mean this deal has dragged on long enough. So I don't see why you can't IPO that business to your soft bank at this juncture. Like they kind of like you know ask backwards spelling. they bought that thing at a long time they should have been doing the exact opposite in terms of those the, those two trades and they exited a, if you remember they exited a huge stake in nvidia right after it had tank which by the way today must irritate them but then like you know seemed for like a brief stretch not that bad cuz they as usual had those uh downside uh whatever you want to call them callers on these things but uh, I don't know. I mean, I I would think I think I would think it's less likely. I mean, Qualcomm's made noise, a bunch of people have made noise. I think enough's happened in the chip space. I think chips have become political because of what's happened under COVID, probably more so than they should be. And the idea of of having ARM own this when everybody's also saying we can all invest and you can just have it be collectively owned, it's gonna be a tough one. But I think NVIDIA can make a case. I mean, they could say like a bunch of the core business is under threat. They're like they have no presence in, in mobile. You know, they want to be a third player in uh, the server side CPU with ARM. And uh, it fits into their strategy there. And that they can add value to the customer if they owned it. But like, I think the, the counter arguments to me, like Jensen's just going to raise prices.
0: So, do you, the other thing I think about with NVIDIA is about the fact that for all that it's a real strong, measurable company is that Tesla is a sort of company that it's both arguably the original meme stock and different. I mean, they do, for all the dispute, they do have a growing business. There is, we've heard the bull case on this podcast and it's definitely out there. But a company like Tesla can continue to trade. And by the way, it hasn't been that crazy. It has come off its highs and 20 or 30% and it's kind of... You don't hear much about Tesla these days. It's kind of forgotten, but it seems like if the, if the sort of thing that can happen to Tesla from in the recent history, it could also happen to something like NVIDIA, and that is sort of, which is maybe a long way of saying maybe NVIDIA can still be memed even as big as it is because it's popular. You could see people rallying behind it for either crypto reasons or gaming reasons like is there any I I know you're not necessarily posing this as I'm trying to I'm looking at a potential short in a non-meme stock, but it does seem like there's still some of that memeability here. Is that something you think about at all, or you just think that I mean,
1: no, not really. I mean, like I'm thinking about more like what does what's a year from now look like? Where can you make where is there appealing and where is there appealing investment opportunity? I mean, these shorts. Are, I'm pretty confident that some of these things are going to get wrecked. We're talking today on a day that you know Bitcoin and cryptos Doji coins what 15 cents now. I mean, like that's taking a big hit. GameStop today at the same time raised you know announced that they raised 1.1 billion. I mean, so GameStop now has 1.7 billion in cash and a underlying business with a terminal value of zero. Let's call it that. Like in gaming, let's say a collectible business, you're going to be generous and say it's a business that could be worth a couple billion. So like the business has 75% downside. Like we're going back to the joke we were making, or not even joke, essentially the, the argument around like you're paying a huge premium for what they might do. Like a person who's like, let's say, you know, microvision, lead our technology. You're super skeptical about everybody behind it. Ehang, flying cars, super skeptical, a lot of things are like, bullshit, like, you're not going to be able to do this, here's what's going to happen, here's what's going to happen, rockets, you know, autonomous driving, whatever, like, but in the case of something like GameStop, like, it's like you're created like a premium trust or a promote investor, and you're paying him seven times the the, the trust asset NAV, right?
0: It's a giant And that's like, well,
1: yeah, that's what we were talking about. That's what we're talking about with respect to micro strategy also. Right. And that's where you get into AMC. I mean, my point was that, like, if I told you today that I want to short this because the game felt like, and we had this long call, and I probably have wasted, you know, 50 hours, you know, for the two spaces, some obscene amount of time, you know, since January, where we've actually entertained conversations analyzing the underlying businesses that are GameStop and AMC. And my point is, like, if you come to me today and start out with, here's my take on that, just like, just look, check mark. I agree. It's a 90% downside on that. So walk me through structurally why I can trade where it's trading. What's going on in the market that makes it happen? Because Cinemark trade, like, if it was something about the movies, I would have been like, all right, let's go buy Cinemark. Like, why aren't you long Cinemark and short AMC here. Why is not everybody have that trade on? Why doesn't everybody have a a long uh, GME? Sorry, a short GME and then a long Take Two Interactive on. Yeah, there's a fear of fear of irrationality. Well, it's, a, it's like, so like it, it, it's that there's that like there's a a swarm that has taken over the trading of these names, and that like you don't have to do anything this is my point. Like it can't, like a short can't be that easy. Yes. It can be that easy in the sense that it's that easy to do the analysis here on the business. And I, I don't think any single person, you know, with any type of investment experience, as well as plenty without any, is going to have a challenge in analyzing the underlying fundamentals of those two businesses. So like what, what has effectively happened is that's been made irrelevant. that goes back to the Gazi comment. And that's where you get into the whole thing where it's like, You're not shorting those businesses. You're shorting something else. That, by the way, has not gotten a clear answer. Like, are you shorting a gamma squeeze that has sustained itself? Are you shorting some type of flow trading? Is it just a revolution, like that guy said on CNBC? And like we've seen that in a lot of these things. Are is it just a byproduct of cheap money? And is it like just is it the equivalent of just what happens when you have musical chairs in retail? Like, there's a lot of things that you could use to explain the type of behavior. What I think is really interesting about that is all those things that I just cited, that comes up historically for any type of asset bubble in the past. But like you can't make the comparisons because people got excited about everything in the internet. Pets.com selling pet food online ended up working as a business. It was an idea. They tried to execute upon it. It's made fun of to this day because it had the sock puppet, right? Think about how great <laughs> a fucking meme that thing would have been. It's true, right? <laughs> like it, it would have been the best meme stock of all time. But the point is, is that we never got to the point where it's like, hey, no reason to talk about the business. Like before, you even say anything, hundred percent AMC is a short because here are the ten other companies like it, right? Huts.com didn't have ten other companies like it. It was like it had Amazon as an investor. There was a bunch of things going on there. You you, you had to engage in the type of debate that like, you know, so like Benji came on Spaces the other day and he was like. This is like beyond meat and till rate. And I'm like, no, it's not. You know, he was citing how those stocks traded. And I do think that like the same thing can happen here. Maybe it is like those in a stock dynamic, but from an investing dynamic, there's like those things have bull, bull arguments with people who really believe it. I mean, they're not a Tesla in the sense that they haven't made the level of progress that a Tesla has gotten to in their respective spaces, but like 3D printing, plant based meat, and like weed. As a a legal weed as a business, like those are, are not spaces that you need to like hard sell a lot of people. Like there's hardcore believers there, there's business there, money is being made there by many people. It's a question of how much, to what extent, and whatever. But those stocks did go through crazy periods in a very short window, which maybe you could somewhat relate to the dynamics that like have played a part structure wise in the market. The, the, the types of things that can make a Beyond Meat Tilray do what they do then could be analogous to certain things that have gone on with some of these meme names. Because we can say with like, like the meme thing did spread beyond, like if we want to back up a little bit here, it did spread to things like Wendy's and BlackBerry, right? And Bed Bath & Beyond. So like, it's it's not just been focused on like, Let's say two names like like GME and, and AMC, where we can unanimously agree, based on comps that are too easy to make, that you don't have to debate the business, or else CineMark and IMAX would have taken off. You know, and we would have gone to the moon as well. The Wendy's chart is kind of fascinating to look at. Yeah, Clover Health, right? Like there was a period where where, where rocket mortgages, right? Like. There's been a bunch of these, what's going on underneath the hood of the stock market that is like, that is a lot of this to have, like that is, that's more of a story. I think with these names, the question is, why, why are they able to sustain at these levels? What keeps the bid for an extended period? And what is causing like, you know, a clover health to flame out really quickly and literally be like a pump and then a dump, you know, the definition and versus like an AMC, which like it gets to a level and then like. Is it that shareholder base, the revolution of the apes? Like, are there enough of them out there that had bought the stock, and after the gamma squeeze, they're not selling, and a bunch of things have to happen for that to unwind? I do remember
0: Tilray being sort of the the best example of my last five years before all this stuff of that sort of not quite Fugazi because again they were a pot company. I feel like they were one of the weaker ones, but they were a pot company, but it was just so obvious that there was a disconnect between anything fundamental and yet it still stayed up. And that I guess that's to come back to whether to short a company like that in that sort of position or whether to short something like Nvidia. There's almost an argument to be made of well, actually it's a lot easier to study the business to understand what the bull case is and to then identify a potential driver for nvidia than there is to understand everything else that might be keeping the stock afloat to your point like what is how is it that post gamma squeeze these companies some of them sustain some of them just pop and then go away that may be harder to actually get into correct so what is last question maybe what on Nvidia, what are you? Uh, is this something you're doing work on? Is it something you're using as an example of where we are in the no, market? No, not
1: really. I mean, yeah. I I just started. God knows where I'll make it uh, <laughs> on it. Like I said, I don't feel like I'm unearthing anything new here. Like this would be really appealing from like a if I wanted to build a basket of names, I wanted to just short and hold for two years, which people would be like, you're fucking crazy, <laughs> you know well <laughs> like that's how I would want to do the trade it didn't
0: work it didn't work out and so I local- compare,
1: and I compare them with like names on the growth side that like offer better risk reward right like I was giving justin a hard time like he's like i'm you know I'm buying the dip on Roku. and I'm like why Netflix is a two hundred billion you know this is at fifty they so have to get to ten billion in revenue in the next four years and you're paying for it because I think it'll be a five times sales stock in four years. So like, why are you paying? Why are you paying up front for 7X? Like, I don't even understand how much money that we're going to be spending on content. Like, how is like the, the financial model change, about to change? And he's just like, well, because the 25% off, it's high and millennials are doing this. And, uh, you know, I think the stock is going to rally. And I was like, yeah, but why that? And not Twilio or DocuSign or several other names. And you know, in his defense, you know he's kind of zoned in on this one. But like my rationale is, hey, okay, you're right, and you and I get you're doing a trade, and it's most likely gonna work because these types of trades have worked. And there's a when there's a window that feels like it's all clear, these trades all work and they all work at the same time. But like, why did you buy that versus Netflix, which nobody wants to buy right now? Because well, nobody's like nobody in that same category of people is buying Netflix because they don't think Netflix is going to go from, can can go from 200 billion to 700 billion. Like they'd rather make the bet. The row could go from 50 to a hundred or maybe to 200. But like, you're not really walking it through that way. And I'm like, okay, so then why don't you just buy a Twitter? Why don't you buy I me mean, like yo, he owns a bunch of PagerDuty? but it's like, why wouldn't you just buy even more PagerDuty? You know, these multiples or or Salesforce or whatever, because if if you, if you're putting that on, it's a better risk reward. But in fact, what you're acknowledging is that like you want to buy these because they're more likely to be bought by the types of people who trade this type of momentum beta in these names, and that these names, from a factor standpoint, get the benefit. Yeah, like they're not like you're just like there's a category. There's nobody's gonna flock into Netflix, but that nobody who's buying Roku who's worried about it being trading at five times sales in 2024, and that five times sales plus whatever dilution, whatever is factored in and and content spend, et cetera, that w- works into the whole equation. That like, like, you're essentially buying the company to grow you know, like 100%, roughly speaking, for the next three years on the platform business. You're gonna go from like 1.4 to 2.8 to 5.6 to about $10 billion. I mean, yeah, you can't do it linearly, but like let's so say you assume that, and then like soon after such a huge period in, like if you were able to really go that quickly and ad supported, then everybody who was doing subscription would be ad supported, all right? By that point. Or you somehow are have you know unraveled the model of content investing, which doesn't seem like that's gonna be the case because we've clearly seen and we've got today on a day like where Netflix just announced their Spielberg deal after he criticized them, right? For or 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 streamers in general for the Oscars. But Like when you when you look at the content space in general, like doesn't seem like that there is this secret sauce beyond a a few franchises that one day probably will actually get criticism as tired, but who knows when they will ever come? It seems like uh, they continually find better ways to tell stories. But I mean, you get my point. My point is like with those names, like you could build a basket and say, great business, more likely to underperform. Share price wise, because really crowded, and then I will hedge them with these longs that no one's really that excited about right now. But relative to these names, like if I actually do like the 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 underpinning narrative, uh, I can get behind them. Versus going into this space where these names move around fifty, hundred percent, the volatility is huge, and it's like why does the stock trade the way it does, and you can't even you can't explain it.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, the basket, it's not quite a bubble basket, but it's a uh, sentiment often has a short timeline. And so that's an opportunity if you can identify where sentiment shifts and give yourself a time frame for it to work. I think that makes sense. And it just seems like with, with the Fugazis of the world, you'll get. you would get there, but you would get there while getting run over. a truck or two on the way just because anything can happen with those names it seems if there's no business model to tie it to then anything is possible so but
1: that's the thing though right like i mean that's a source source of frustration but at the same time it innately does explain some of the problem there's such unanimous agreement about the underpinnings that like you have to actually unravel what lets the price trade at those levels. Right. And I'm I, like, we've seen like, it's, it's an ongoing debate, right? Like there's some people view it as financial populism. Some view it as just like retail cults. that are Well, like we've seen it in those names, but we've seen the temporary phenomenon, like, or if you want to call them like the aftershocks and things like rocket internet and Clover health and like, you know, is there are there broken structural things going on, on the market, or the ability to sell a short squeeze narrative for a few days, and some people have exploited something in, in under the hood of the you know the inner workings that is the the stock market machine. Those things are uh, I, I think it, like worth exploring, but I don't think we'll ever get answers to those. It's trying to like explain a complex organism. Maybe it's not that complex. Maybe someone does have the answers, but. I mean, I'd like to think, I'd like to hope that it's not because there's irrational human actors at the end of the day involved, despite all the machines and everything else going on. So when you have that element, it's hard to believe anyone's figured it out. And we can just say, I think that the the COVID market definitely has played a part. And we're not gonna like, it's gonna take several years and we'll be able to look back and kind of kind of study it and kind of understand the behavior that one that that caused it. I don't think in the moment where you're ever going to get to it.
0: All right. Well, let's, let's wrap it there. So yeah. Interesting. That's the dynamics we're at. And that's where shorting something that has a clearer, more understandable story that the logic there is compelling, even if it's maybe tougher to, find the right time and the right opportunity for a name like that to turn so i guess we'll see thank you for listening to the razor's edge subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts hit us up on twitter at @DanielShortman daniel shortman and at akram's razor with suggestions requests or anything else we aim to publish this every tuesday morning and love to hear from you if you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. Thank you for listening and see you next week.